Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. Our second reading this morning is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath, like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So let us pray. Holy Spirit, come. God, we give you thanks and praise for this day and for the gift of your word and for the privilege of uh, gathering together uh, to stand under it and to understand it a little better. And so we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. And we ask in the name of Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So if you're uh, anything like me, the first part of today's passage from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians uh, might make you squirm just a little bit. <laughs> uh, you know, it seems like St. Paul is setting up a pretty stark uh, choice. You know, you're either in or you're out. You're either with us or you're against us. You're either children of light like us or children of wrath like everyone else. <laughs> and, and I have to say that kind of like every fiber of my being wants to resist this kind of dualism. You know, I, I get antsy when hard and fast lines are drawn. I certainly want to stop well short of making once and for all pronouncements about anyone else's eternal well-being. I don't like this kind of division, us versus them. But, but of course, everyone draws lines somewhere. Right? We, we, we do make choices about who's in and who's out all the time. It's the nature of believing anything, religious or otherwise. We make choices. Uh, most of us are not cut out to be nihilists, where anything goes because nothing matters. Uh, 
We all have some sense of what's right and wrong. We all have lines we will not cross, even if for some of us, those lines are a little further down the road than others. And, And, you know, actually, Paul is bringing us into a consistent biblical reality. It's it's a reality that makes a whole lot of sense if we take a step back, and it's, it's this. There really are only two options, uh, faithfulness and unfaithfulness. There's God's way and there's everything else. We're either going with the grain of the universe or against it. And, and that can sound harsh, but if we believe that God's way is good, it, that it bends towards love and justice and righteousness, that God desires a world of uh, flourishing and abundant life and a world of peace and wholeness, then, then it isn't quite as much of a burden as, as we might first think. I mean, if God really is going to get the world that God wants, then this, this two-choice option could be, I, I dare say it is, a, a gift, uh, more a promise than a threat. Maybe the only two choices really is a gift. The psychologist Barry Schwartz makes the case that too much choice, uh, endless possibility is actually really bad for us for all kinds of reasons. Um, And that may grate against what we uh, tend to believe, but uh, he uses this this cartoon. Uh, If you can't see it, uh, it's a cartoon with... Uh, two fish in a fishbowl, one apparently older and one younger. And uh, the older fish is saying to the younger fish, uh, you, can, you can be anything you want to be, no limits. <laughs> and, and, you know, likely our first thought uh, about this is how foolish it is, because clearly both fish are confined to the limits of the fishbowl. All sorts of things are not possible. Uh, on the one hand, or this is a commentary about, you know, power of positive thinking or something. But also, on the other hand, there's something kind of profoundly true about it too, isn't there? Uh, About what this big fish is saying. Because everything that is possible for this little fish to do is possible within the bounds of the fishbowl. You know, shatter the fishbowl and the fish don't have more possibilities, they have uh, big problems. And the point is that we actually need boundaries in order to flourish. So back to our passage. You know, Paul, Paul seems to be reminding us that when everything is up for grabs, when we chase after the passions of our flesh and follow the desires of our hearts and bow to the trinity of our thoughts and wants and feelings, we're not actually freer. In, in fact, we might be in trouble. We're not actually very good at being gods for ourselves, of knowing right and wrong. That's our favorite temptation. It's the original temptation. But, you know, a fish can't make its own fishbowl. Still, I get antsy. I get antsy with this far, part, first part of the passage. I, I don't really like it, uh, even though I understand it logically. And I, I don't like it for two reasons. The first is that uh, the world is full of people across every spectrum of belief and practice with really loud voices and deep convictions who are absolutely convinced that their way is the right way. And if you disagree with them, it's obviously because you didn't hear properly. And so they'll just say it louder and more forcefully. And the evidence is that that kind of conviction doesn't seem to be making the world a better place. Now, and of course, we all have to draw a line somewhere, and doing that is going to put us in conflict with others on the other side of that line, and and sometimes that's a good thing. When we make a decision in the right direction, if we have enemies over it, that can be a good thing. But our passion for deciding who's in and who's out doesn't always seem to be leading us in the way of love and justice and righteousness. 
often the, the means don't line up with the ends. You know, a bullhorn is a, not a terribly useful tool for proclaiming peace. <laughs> uh, you cannot yell good news at somebody. You can shout it from the mountaintops, but you cannot scream it into someone's face. And the other reason I get antsy about this part is related to another thing that Dr. Schwartz says, uh, which is that choice is more likely to produce paralysis than freedom. Uh, The more choice we have, the more anxious we become about making the right choice. And this can lead to depression and regret and, and worse. You know, Western wealthy industrial nations have almost limitless choice uh, about everything from clothing to medical care, toothpaste to stock options. You know, more choice than anyone ever had in the history of the world. And study after study shows that culturally speaking, not necessarily individually, but culturally, we're among the most miserable people who ever lived. (laughs) Uh, We are overwhelmed with choice. We are constantly forced to worry about making the right choice, even after we've made a choice. I'd encourage you to to watch uh, Dr. Schwartz's TED Talk. It's called The Paradox of Choice. It's a few years old, but I think it's even more relevant now than it was then. And so back to our passage, even though the biblical choice is only two options, the stakes are rather higher, aren't they? I mean, if the choice is always to be on God's side or not, to obedience or disobedience, faithfulness or unfaithfulness, to be the children of light or the children of wrath, then everything we do takes on kind of eternal significance. And if you're anything like me, or for that matter, if you're anything like St. Paul, who in another one of his letters, the letter to the Romans, is quite open and honest about the fact that he doesn't always do what he ought to do and he often does what he ought not to do, Uh, If we understand our lives as defined by the choices that we make, and not just in this life, but for eternal life, then at some point that's going to cause, you know, a kind of religious mania or a total spiritual paralysis or a deep nagging worry about which side we're on or some deadly combination of these things. And you can imagine the Ephesian church sitting there listening to this being read aloud for the first time. Right? And while there may be some of them who are quite pleased with themselves to be on the inside, I have to think that most of them started staring at their feet at this point. <laughs> you know, as they hear what's supposed to be an affirmation of their faithfulness, how they've lived uh, every moment since they first heard the gospel in perfect step with the Holy Spirit, no longer subject to their fleshly passions, whatever those might be, uh, I have to think that most of them, the, uh, the honest ones anyways, are now going over the last week in their minds trying to figure out how they're going to do better this week, right? Or else. You know, this week for sure I'll be good. This week I'll earn my spot on the inside. This week I'll, I'll be obedient. I'll make God happy. Except all of a sudden, Paul does the strangest thing. Well, we're still going through our, our good versus bad in versus, in versus out ledgers, and we all have them. He's reminding us of how we got to this place in the first place. He he says this, he says, but God, which is one of our most important theological phrases, I think, (laughs) but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
Now, if, you, if you've been hanging around the church for uh, a while, it's possible you've heard this or something like it so often that it barely registers anymore. But let's, let's don't let our, our familiarity overshadow our astonishment. And this is an extraordinary thing that Paul's saying, both in the context of first century religious thought and, and for us now, because I think, frankly, we're just not all that different. Paul, Paul reminds the church of the most breathtaking thing that the church is bold to say, which is that while we were good as dead, God made us alive. When we had nothing to give, when we were running against the grain of the universe, before we ever thought to do anything worthy of praise or of God's pleasure, God chose us. God chose us. God chooses us. The deep hope of Jesus is, is not that we will make the right choice, but that God chooses us. Jesus is clear when he says to his disciples, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And it means at least two things. That, that first, that if God loved us when we were as good as dead in our trespasses and sins, and, and you know, the wages of sin is death is how Paul puts it somewhere else, but that's not because God is vengeful or sadistic. It's because sin is what separates us from God, which is to say that sin separates us from the source of life and separated from the source of life, well, we just don't have the staying power to continue on forever. So if God loved us when we were as good as dead in our trespasses and sins, totally separate from God, there's an awfully good chance, a divinely good chance, I would say, that he lo God loves the folks we assume are dead in their trespasses and sins. And, which is an unsettling thing. <laughs> I mean, it's profoundly irritating, frankly, when we draw a line and God is pleased to move it on us for the sake of folks we'd have happily left out. But that's how grace is. I, I often think of Anne Lamott's great line that she borrowed from a friend that if it turns out that God hates all the same people we do, we can rest assured that we'd made God in our own image, <laughs> that we've got uh, an idol on our hands. If we have any inclination to be pleased with ourselves because we're on the inside and others aren't, Paul undermines that completely. And if we have any concern that our performance might leave us out in the cold, Paul undermines that completely too. Because we ha the choice that we thought was ours never was. We still have a choice. It's just not the one we thought we had. Right? In the company of Jesus, the choice we do have is not whether we'll choose God's way, but whether we'll receive God's transforming grace. The choice is not whether we'll choose God's way, but whether we'll receive God's transforming grace. We, we have that choice. We will not be coerced or manipulated. We are free, but we need to know what our actual choice is if we'll make it well. We need to know that we're not people desperately trying to climb the mountain of self-salvation, where every time we get to the, what we think is the summit, we reach it and there's another great wall of rock to climb. We, and we all know that mountain, right? <laughs> we all know the mountain of self-salvation. We've all spent time on it. Some of us are camped out on it right now, but it's not what we're made for. And we're not meant to spend our lives walking on eggshells for fear that God will smite us if we step out of line. No, we, we are children made in God's image, gathered into the arms of our divine parent, the one who knows us better than we know ourselves, who loves us unimaginably more than we would ever hope. We are children whom God chooses, full stop. 
before we get out of bed in the morning, before we make a single choice, we are caught up in God's choice, in the immeasurable richness of God's grace. And I think the difference that that makes is everything. Right? It's about our essential identity. We're, we're not meant to move through this world frantically trying to earn God's favor or God's pleasure. We're meant to move through this world as free images of God's favor, reminders of God's pleasure, signs of God's love. Paul, Paul gets at that in the next bit. Right here, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, which here is more trust than belief. By grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your doing. It's the gift of God. Listen carefully. Not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us. We're free to live as nothing less than we've been created to live, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. We're meant to be reminders in the world of the grace that is ours. We're meant to reflect the love we've been shown. And before we get anxious about doing enough good works, which is, uh, can quickly become an overwhelming burden in a world desperate for goodness, I, I want to grab hold of an image that I think can help us live our, our, and embrace our, our true identity in Christ. And the image is lost in translation, but it requires, and it requires a little holy imagination. But it's this. The, the verb to make in Greek is the word from which we get uh, the word poet. Uh, we, we could translate, we are what God has made us, as we are God's poetry. And isn't that lovely? I mean, I just love that. We are God's poetry. We are made to be the poetry of God. We are made to live and move and have our being in the rhythms and rhymes of God's love for this world. We're meant to bring out the cadences of salvation. We're meant to say something about our God who takes death and makes life, whose kindness is immeasurable, whose mercy never fails, who turns mourning to dancing, who brightens sin-dim eyes and heals sin-marred hearts. Our, our lives are meant to say something about the God who loved us, not when we finally got our act together, uh, but when we had nothing to offer. While we were still enemies, Paul says, Christ died for the ungodly. And what might change if we began every morning with the affirmation that we are God's poetry? You know, that, that our lives are a love poem to the world. And, and it is a love poem, right? We know how this poem ends. Uh, there may be lines and stanzas that are hard to get out, uh, that remind us that all is not as it should be. In fact, there will be. There, there will be hard lines in the poems of our lives. We're in one right now, Right? But this poem ends in wonder and love and praise. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This poem ends with the promise that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This poem ends in the wild hope that all things will be made new, that the hope and peace and joy and love of God will get the last word on us and on this world. What if we began each morning by asking God what God wants to say through us today? What if we went about our work ready to be God's word of kindness and delight? What if we met our loved ones, our friends, and our families as God's love note to them? What if we chose to live with our enemies, or even just those we'd rather not deal with, uh, as God's word of grace, God's promise of the measureless mercy and kindness 
that we know? What if we were for our enemies the poem of God's salvation? And you know, I love the definitiveness of what Paul says. Right? It's not we could be what we were meant to be if only. If only we got our acts together. If only we tried a little harder. If only the situation was otherwise. This is not a conditional promise, friends. Paul declares it over us. We are, present tense, what God has made us. Created in Christ Jesus, we are God's poetry for the world, beautiful and perfect for the task, just because God says so, just because it delights God that it is so. So may you know it. May you know that in Jesus, God has chosen you. God chooses you. God may not leave you as you are. God loves you too much for that, but God chooses you right now. May you know the richness and the riches of God's unhindered mercy. There is nothing that is insurmountable for God's mercy. May you know that this God has a habit of taking what we thought uh, only death would come from and making it into life. May you know God's kindness. May you be awash in God's grace. Know how far God will go to love you, that God has given everything just to choose you. And knowing that, may you be the word that you were made to be. You are God's poetry. May it be so. Amen.